This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. How long have you had to wait for medical treatment that you needed? The Fraser Institute is out with its annual wait times report, and it shows these waiting periods are going up. It, on average, it took 21.2 weeks between a referral from a general practitioner and to the receipt of treatment, and that is longer than the wait of an average of 20 weeks last year. This year's wait time is also 128% longer than in 1993, when it was just 9.3 weeks. But it depends on where you are and what you need. The good news is wait times are shortest here in Ontario, 15.4 weeks, and that looks pretty good when you compare it to the longest wait times in New Brunswick, 41.7 weeks. And you'll be waiting months probably in pain if you need orthopedic surgery like a hip replacement. That takes 41.7 weeks to get. But again, good news, if you need cancer treatment, you'll get it within three weeks, which uh, as far as I know is within the guidelines. And as one of my doctors always says, the numbers are the numbers, and your case is your case. So we want to hear from you about your case. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I want to hear about how long you had to wait for whatever procedure it was that you needed and, and what happened in that interim. Did you get worse? Were there things that you were not able to do? Was it stressful? Um, we want to hear your story. But right now, let's go to the author of the report, Bacchus Barua, who is an Associate Director of Health Policy Studies at the Fraser Institute, and Dr. Sean Watley, who is President of the Ontario Medical Association. Thank you very much for joining, both of you. Thank you, Libby. Okay, so let's start with you, uh, Bacchus. Was there anything surprising that you found in this year's report? Anything that was a divergence from the trend you would have seen a year ago? Well, I, you know, I think you said it very well. I mean, this is just part of a trend. Um, it's it's not surprising that Canada has such long wait times. But I did think that last year, when we when we measured the wait time at about 20 weeks, that it would serve as as a wake up call as, with regards to what's happening and what uh, Canada's system is putting patients through. Uh, so it's very very disheartening to actually see the wait times increase to 21.2 weeks. Again, a new record um, in the 20 plus years that we've been uh, looking at this survey. Um, Dr. Sean Watley, when I look at this, one of the things that I see, and also last, just a week ago, we had uh, something on wait times in emergency. And what I'm seeing is that 
when something is very urgent and a life and death matter, people get the treatment when they need it. And I'm talking about if you walk into a merge with a heart issue, they'll see you right away. And uh, if you need uh, cancer treatment, you'll get it in a timely fashion. But but a lot of the other things are really kind of uh, falling off. Am, am I correct in that assessment? Well, there's some truth in that for sure, Libby. Um, having said that, we also know that our sickest, weakest, most frail and needy patients are waiting over 32 hours in a, in a stretch, on a stretcher in a hallway in the hospital. So, so I think there's a lot of evidence to say that a lot of our sickest patients aren't getting the care they need in a timely fashion. Having said that, Canadians in general are very grateful people and, and they're thankful to get the care and, and to survive their, their illness. That's not good enough. We should be delivering the care that they need and not just the kind of care that they're willing to be thankful for. Uh, Bacchus Barua, are there any things that you see in your report as the most urgent issues that have to be addressed? Well, one of these things that we do, you know, sort of what you pointed out before this is that um, this report does not look at emergency treatment. Um, but that does not mean that patients over here should not be cared for. Uh, when we're talking about something like a 40-plus week wait for orthopedic surgery, in some cases over a year in order to get a hip, we need to remember that these do actually have consequences on the patients waiting for them. They might be in pain. They might not be able to do their jobs properly. Uh, just because they aren't going to die, they shouldn't be brushed aside. Um, you know, at the same time, I, I think the fact that there is, you know, for example, a 32-plus week wait for something like neurosurgery uh, is really, really quite remarkable. And it's just across the board, there is no need for us to have these long wait times. It's not a necessary price that we have to pay for universal health care. So we have to ask ourselves, why are we continuing with the sort of policies that are resulting in patients waiting so long for treatment? Yeah, you know, uh, it was really, this is I uh, probably a, a bit of a divergence, but with the neurosurgery piece, I remember that uh, there was a prominent neurosurgeon uh, who's been charged with murdering his wife, and uh, all kinds of people were worried about the extra backup that would take. I mean, it just boggles the mind. Uh yeah, I, I, I don't know about that particular case, but I do know that uh, I remember very recently there was a, there was a report where um, a, a patient actually uh, posted a picture of how long it actually takes them for uh, a referral with a neurosurgeon in Ontario, and I, I maybe, maybe Sean will remember this, but I think it was more than four years that they were that they were being told that they had to wait um, for for that referral. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really stretched. Um, the doctors that we have are, are, are doing what they can um, with, with that current situation. We have one of the lowest uh, physician-to-population ratios. And even those physicians, uh, some of them uh, might actually be willing to do more surgery but are not getting operating room time. Uh, this is really about, you know, poor policy, unnecessary policy uh, that's in place for universal health care. And there are so many better ways to do it that we can see around the world. Um- Sean Watley, um, do you see, uh, you know, you're referring to policy as the problem, too much administration. What, where do you see the problem? Well, I think it's uh, one thing we love to do is we, we love to find one issue and point at just that. So too many bureaucrats or not enough hospital beds or, or underfunding. I think it's more complex than that. It's a whole bunch of things that are all working together. We have misaligned incentives. 
We have politicians who need to uh, get reelected, so they tend to put funding towards things that will help in their reelection in their reelection issues. I think where we need to start is to put patients at the center of this, and I'm so glad that this report talks about the physical, emotional, and mental health issues related to waiting. We talk about the opioid crisis in Ontario. Guess what? That's related to people being in pain waiting for a year for surgery. We talk about mental health issues. Guess what? That's related to the trauma and anxiety and stress on a, on a home, on a family, on a marriage when people are off work waiting for surgery. And, and really, my only criticism of this report is that it's far too kind. When you talk about averages, we forget about everybody the 50% of people who are waiting longer than the average. Or we forget about the pocket of where there isn't even any specialist care for a particular kind of service, let's say pediatric mental health. And so by definition, wait times for that service in a particular area may be infinite because the service just doesn't exist at all. And then we get into a two-tier situation where people who can afford to travel are able to travel into the big city to get treatment, whereas those who can't are left uh, with no care. And so this is a far bigger issue than simply pointing at, at one particular problem. And I'm so thankful that you have it on your show right now. Um, well, we want to hear from our listeners. I'm going to throw it out again. You know, if you've had to wait for something like a hip replacement or a knee replacement or uh, a certain kind of surgery, uh, please call and uh, tell us about your experience. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And um, I, I, just to, uh, you know, uh, flesh out what you're talking about, Sean, uh, and, and this is, you know, from people who I know who are, are very fortunate, but uh, I like to play tennis. I have people that I know from playing tennis and uh, sometimes they need a hip replacement and it can take a very long time and they're off, they're in pain, uh, they're as you say they might be on painkillers, they're not doing any exercise um, exercise on top of being very good for you also keeps your mental health and uh, you know I, I, I know people who've actually become clinically depressed as a result of something like that. Absolutely, Libby, and we see this all the time. You know, Bacchus just mentioned the 4.5-year wait for neurology that we just saw a few weeks ago over in Kingston. I have a close friend who had to, had to wait six years from onset of symptoms to spine surgery. The, another thing that we don't see in this report is the waiting time that patients go through before they even bring up the issue with their family doc. So there's a waiting time there. Yeah, but that that's, 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 that's uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about that other than tell people, you know, listen to your body. Well, you're absolutely right. There is an element of patient accountability here, but I think we have so many things that we can improve before we start talking about about patient accountability, if we build a system around patient needs and really help them uh, not suffer the cost and not just the emotional, physical, and mental health cost, but there's also financial costs. Fraser Institute also did a study last year, I believe, that Bacchus can comment on it. I think it was $1.7 billion spent by patients on waiting for care. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you can't work uh, if you can't work while you're, uh, you know, waiting for some kind of surgery, then uh, you're you're going to be out money because not everybody has disability. There are rules with getting disability. It's it's not easy. 
and, yep. and Libby, to jump in once more, actually, if you get injured on the job, so you are eligible for workman's compensation, there are almost no wait times. So workman's compensation sets up its own specialty referral plan where you actually get to see a specialist within six weeks and treatment a few weeks after that. So the province knows that injured workers cost money and they want to get them patched up as quickly as possible. Whereas if you injure your other knee, let's say, for an example, you injure one knee at work, you get treatment within a few weeks, you injure your other knee on the soccer field after hours, you're waiting 10 months to a year just to see the surgeon. Wow. Uh, Bacchus, did you want to jump in there? No, you know, I, I think, um, thank you for saying saying everything you are, Sean. I, I think you've got it absolutely absolutely right on, on, on multiple levels. Um, you know, the the other study that, that Sean mentioned about the economic cost of wait time, um, he's absolutely right. It was $1.7 billion to the economy, and that's at the low level. That's that's only um, assuming that there's um, income lost uh, during the work week. If we start to actually value hours outside the work week, you know, because Everybody's time is actually valuable. There is there is value to being able to play tennis. There is value to be able to uh, spend time with your family or just being pain free. That actually goes up to about 5.2 billion. And even there, I'd say it's probably uh, on the low end of the estimate. It's you know it's just it's just another example of the fact that we need to get away from this mentality where we just brush aside wait times as this benign inconvenience that uh, is just a mild irritant in our system. Uh, They can and do often have very real consequences. They can result in um, conditions that may have been treatable, turning into permanent uh, debilitating uh, diseases. uh, And we, we need to wrap our heads around this fact that there is no need for these wait times to exist in Canada. We are amongst the highest spenders when it comes to healthcare uh, compared to other uh, countries in the OECD with universal healthcare, uh, but we have fewer doctors, we have fewer beds, and once we have to ration treatment, it manifests itself in these long wait times. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Rod in Clarington. Hey, Rod. Hi. You're on the air, go ahead. Uh, I just want to just make a comment. Go ahead. My wife just passed away Sorry to hear. Ago, sorry to hear that. Stomach cancer. I'm sorry. I just want to say that we've got the most fantastic healthcare system anywhere, and I really resent when I hear people like this on the phone or on the radio trying to pick holes in it. She was treated so well. She spent. She went through chemo. She went through surgery. Everything was just so great and so timely done. And the the hundreds of people that we talked to in the cancer clinic in Oshawa Hospital, you know, they were having treatment and the people who were giving the treatment were just fantastic. And this is the type of program on this nitpicking that you guys are doing that just makes our American neighbors think that we've got such a terrible system up here. We should be praising this system and not trying to pick holes in it. I just wanted to comment on that, so goodbye. Goodbye. Um, sorry for your loss. Um, uh, you know, the, the bright spot in the system, according to this report, uh, I don't know if Rod heard the report, was that cancer care. And that is that if you need cancer treatment, you're going to get it within three weeks. And that is certainly within the guideline. Uh, Bacchus, uh, were you surprised about that? Hello? 
think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, first, I, I want to thank the caller for, yes. for, for coming and, men and mentioning that, uh, and I'm sorry for his loss, but it is actually exactly that that we have shown in our report, that when it comes to treatment like cancer, Canada's healthcare system does do okay um, in a lot of the cases. Uh, the wait time is lower uh, than usual, and our outcomes when it comes to cancer are sometimes better than the OECD average and sometimes close to the OECD average. The problem is that we have created a system where everybody else is pushed to the wayside. For every one bright spot in the system, there are enough uh, negative stories out there of people who have not received the same sort of care um, that uh, that we heard about right now. And we have to understand that, you know, when we're looking at these other countries with universal health care, I really think it's important for us to not get into the conversation of Canada versus the United States. Absolutely. These are, these are, I mean... I mean, the United States has the worst outcomes, the highest spend, and um, it, it's they're consistently come out on any measure worse than we do, and and they're the only people that we best in that list of of wealthy Western country. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really highlighted by you know, for example, there was a recent study by the Commonwealth Fund that that, that ranked um, different countries in terms of the healthcare systems. I'm I'm not saying I agree with all of their rankings, but consistently. Canada does do better than the United States, but both of them are at the bottom of the pack. There are countries like Switzerland, Sweden, the Netherlands, Germany, France. They are all doing universal health care better. They're, they all have these same bright spot stories, but on in on average, they don't have the long wait times that we see in Canada. Why not try and learn from them? Why not try and improve our health care system? Okay, uh, let's go to Bernice in Hamilton. Hello, Bernice. Hello. Um, I'd like to share our story. Go ahead. Um, our son was had an accident in his electric wheelchair. Getting from the scooter to the electric wheelchair, his coat got caught on the toggle switch. Oh, sorry to hear but, that. But he smashed his right leg, his knee, cap, and yep. um, then he um, ended up in the uh, Hamilton Hospital, and uh, they um, x-rayed his um, ankle. He told them about the accident, um, but they didn't realize his body was going into shock from the accident. Oh, dear. So he was in the hospital. That was beginning of August. Uh, and on the third day, they hadn't even x-rayed his knee or his hip to see if there was any damage. Um, my husband asked him. His leg was swollen, like um, no business, his whole body. They Anyway, by the time they x-rayed, they brought the machine up to the intensive care. Um, his upper femur was cracked. His knee was smashed, um, that they couldn't repair it. And they said he would have to have surgery above the knee. So they thought he was going to have it done right there in the hospital. Um, but they sent him home um, within a, two weeks uh, and said that they'd call him back probably within a week for uh, surgery, and uh, they sent him home with an, a nurse coming in to check his leg and wounds. Um, anyway, they sent him even with the porta potty beside his bed because he couldn't get any further than the bed uh, to the porta potty to go to washroom because of antibiotics, um, codeine. They sent him home with a mega dose of Oxycontin. And there's still to this day, he's had all these prescriptions. Um, so anyway, okay. So anyway, we finally, we phoned the uh, 
um, Andrea Horwak's office. Okay. Have a you- week he got surgery, date for sur- a date for surgery, which is coming up very shortly. And how long has um, it been altogether? Since the beginning of August. Oh, August, dear. Third. Uh, Bernice, thank so you very much time- for... Thank you very much for uh, sharing your story. Appreciate it. Sorry you had to go uh, through that. And, well, not uh, me, him. him. Well, you too. You too. Family members are certainly affected, and, and I'm, going to let, um, I'm going to let our guests respond to that. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Olivia. My heart goes out, Sean, here. My heart goes out to both Rod and Bernice. We hear story after story on the front lines of care. You know, we, we need to be grateful for the people who are working inside health care and for the, for the extra mile that they go to provide care to our patients. And we need to separate our gratitude for people doing what they can do in tough situations from performance. You know, uh, uh, Federal um, Health Minister Jane Philpott, when she was Federal Health Minister last year, said in 2016 that it is a myth that Canada has the best health care in the world. And I think until we start admitting that we could do much better for the amount of money that we spend on health care, and if we start admitting, you know, like Hi Hi says, we're going to have 68% more seniors over the next 20 years. We need to prepare now to improve our system before we get hit with the seniors' crunch in the next 20 years. Um, Bacchus, uh, we are uh, starting to run out of uh, time here. Um, what would you like to leave us with? You know, it's we've been doing this survey for, for more than 20 years. Um, this, is, this is not a new conversation, um, but I, I do think it's really unfortunate that, that not only are wait times here to stay, but they are getting worse. Um, it, it does occur to me that I wonder how many times we have to have this conversation. How many times do we have to understand that there are better ways to do universal health care, that there are ways to partner with the private sector, use them to actually deliver on the universal health care goal, understand the co-payments and cost sharing are a part of it, understand that hospitals should be probably funded on the basis of activity rather than global budgets. Um, unfortunately, we, we have these conversations. Our hearts go out to, to the people who, um, who have a difficult time with it, but nobody is actually making concrete policy change, and therefore... My, uh, I would un- unfortunately expect that we will likely have this conversation again next year. Okay, well, let's hope, let's hope that we don't. Again, uh, thanks to the callers who shared their stories, and, and I know uh, it's difficult to talk about these things that affect a whole family, and to the callers who we could not put on the air, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow, so please call back with your story, and we will hear it then. Right now, we have to take a quick break, and when we return, we are going to have more important medical information. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.